Hey, it's Diane and Susanna, your favorite global health scientists, and you're listening to Global Caveat. Yay! Today we have a very interesting guest um, coming from different perspectives, and I'm really excited to hear what they have to say. So today we have CJ Golding, and I think I'm just going to read his bio exactly how he sent it. Typically we do like third person, but I love, um, you know, he has a way with words. So here we go. I am a weaver, a facilitator, a community builder, an organizer, and a storyteller who invests in the growth of people, the growth of connection between people, and the growth of communities. I believe in liberation for people of color that is not based on the context of white supremacy, and I'm committed to organizing and redistributing power and resources in order to achieve equity and justice. My work is to connect, invest in, and support leaders who are creating that change in their communities. My prior experience has been in the fields of conservation and outdoor education, youth leadership development, and diversity, equity, and inclusion as an acting partner of the Avarna Group, a DEI firm. So yay, thanks CJ for being here. Yeah, we're so excited. Um, and, you know, we're, we're going to talk about this throughout the episode a bunch, but CJ is very good at not talking about himself on the internet, <laughs> um, even though he does so much work for people. You know, and that's just goes to prove not all advocacy is seen on social media, you know, just a, just a, hey, <laughs> just a reminder that we don't see everything people are doing. But anyway, yeah, let's get started. Hi, CJ. Thanks so much for being with us today. Um, it's nice to meet you. I've heard about you. I see you on Instagram because, you know, I'm friends with Diana and also friends with Fiona. So it's nice to finally talk to you and connect with you. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. Uh, it was a little bit of a surprise, but I, I'm always happy to, to have these conversations, and it was good to hear from, from you all again. Yeah. When you say surprise, are you, like, surprised that you were approached for a podcast? Yeah, uh, yes. Uh, I, I mean, I don't expect that to happen. Uh, it's a pleasant surprise, but I don't, I, I don't always expect that to happen, and I know a little bit of the work that Diana does. Um, and so I didn't expect the request to come from Diana about, because I didn't necessarily see the connection there. So I was like, oh, okay, yeah, sure. I yeah. don't know if I fit, but I'm happy to have the conversation. That's such a common response I feel that we get yeah. from most of the people that have been on our podcast. They're like, really? I, yeah. I'd be, I'd be uh, a good fit for this. So we'll find out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just as a note, we are recording in February, just giving some context in case, you know, the world gets even crazier in the next month before this airs. Yeah, so let's uh, just dive in. So in your bio that was so eloquently written, you mentioned that you do all of this work in outdoor things and nature and, you know, you're this advocate and you work towards educating, like what? What exactly does that all mean? What is it that you're doing in nature and outdoors? Sure. Uh, my career and the jobs and the places where I've been able to have that impact uh, started in the outdoors. And so uh, a few years back, it started with me leading trips for high school students who are having their first or second time, uh, first or second experiences backpacking and canoeing in the outdoors. Uh, that developed to working in Seattle City Parks, uh, doing restoration crews with high schoolers as well. I've worked for the park service and land management agencies in managing youth development programs and uh, workforce uh, diversity programs that uh, had the intention of bringing more young adults from diverse communities into those spaces as full-time careers. 
And I worked with a nonprofit for the last few years as a uh, network manager, training and mentoring young adults who want to create change in their communities and using the outdoors as a framework for that. Uh, so the outdoors has been the frame for the painting of my impact on communities. And it's just been a fun place for me to be able to do that work. CJ, are you a writer? I love writing. I love words. I love metaphors. I love talking. Sometimes I talk too much. But I just <laughs> love I love communicating, whether that's through photography, writing, uh, speaking, all of those things. I got the sense. I was listening to you talk about your work, and I was like, he sounds like a writer. I got that feeling. <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit better than going down to LinkedIn. Uh, <laughs> so I'm always trying to find ways of, of communicating the impact that I try to make, I'm trying to have in the world that are different from like from 2007 to 2009. <laughs> <laughs> Bullet points. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you've worked in a lot of different spaces, all within the context of outdoors and youth, it sounds like. Mm-hmm. Um, and specifically focusing on youth that maybe don't have access to outdoors as much for whatever reason. And so what is that like? What got you interested in the youth population? And why was it the outdoors that drew you to using it as a space to reach the youth? So I think both of them were accidents. uh, If I'm being honest, Uh, I was in my undergrad studying to be an engineer, and I was having a couple of rough semesters and had decided to drop out. And so I needed something to do for the summer. I came across this internship seminar that had to do with uh, working for the National Park Service. And it included a week spent in the Grand Tetons National Park. And me being like, in general, I'm an, I'm an explorer. I'm a wanderer. It happened since I was a kid. And I was like, I've never been there. I would love to try it. This is something new. I need something to do. I'm going to go do it. Uh, and so that initial opportunity is what led me to that uh, experience of leading trips for kids in the outdoors. And I didn't have the prerequisite experience to or the skills or the job set to be able to do to lead those trips. Really, I was I was literally learning alongside the kids I was leading trips with. They were safe, but I was learning some of the things. That they were learning. <laughs> <Okay>. um, <laughs> but I think I, part of the reason I had I, I continued in, down that path is because Part of what I like to I like most about working with young adults and with kids and with young people is the ability to just empower them to create the change that they want to see in their communities, to be a mentor for them in ways that I wish I had. And just to be able to, uh, I, I just think there's something powerful about passing things on to the next generation that, or even on to my peers and supporting that kind of, kind of learning and growth. There's something powerful about that, about working with people in that aspect that I really enjoy. Uh, and the outdoor aspect just gave me, like I said before, it gave me a frame and a, a space to do it that I also really enjoyed in terms of being outside, being active, being able to connect with and see new places. So those are some of the aspects of why I like working with people in general, with young people specifically, and then why that happened in the frame of the outdoors. What does it look like when you say that you love using being outdoors and connecting with people and empowering them? What does that practically look like? So in uh, my previous role, we ran three to five day trainings for young adults that centered on core pillars or core themes of civic engagement, community organizing, leadership development, 
and developing a personal narrative. And finally, the last component was using the outdoors as a space to be able to gather and motivate and bring people towards some sort of action. So you'd host three to five day trainings on those particular topics with young folks from uh, from a particular region uh, of the country. And then they we'd support them with resources uh, afterwards to continue the relationship that we built amongst them and also to support them taking some sort of community action. So there are 450 young people in this network and all of them have my phone number. All of the, not all of them use it all the time, but they have the ability to reach out to each other as peers and mentors to, for support. And they have the ability to reach out to me as well for questions, support, letters of recommendation, um, being included in different opportunities and things of that nature. So, or even support on any of the projects that they might be developing. So that's what it has looked like over the past few years. Um, and then there's a lot of, I think, just amplifying and being trying to be an example for a message of connecting to the outdoors while, you know, staying true to your community and staying true to home. Has that been uh, different with COVID at all? Yes, COVID was definitely a shift in, in how we approach that. I think we still try to, once the first wave of, of stay-at-home orders passed, we tried to figure out creative ways to um, support people connecting to the outdoors. And so if it was developing little backpack kits that people could take and use while they were being socially distant, if it was developing uh, tools that people could use to find places close to them that they could use as like a nature break as nature rx uh while everyone was being asked to stay inside or remain socially distant from each other we were doing things like that and then i think one of the things that covid did in general was try was force people to be creative about ways of building community and connection and so what we did is we hosted open spaces for people just hosted zoom meetings for people to be able to connect with each other and to to talk and to not feel isolated I uh, still feel connected with folks both in their community and across the country. And then we turned some of our training virtual. So we brought folks together uh, and studied interactive ways of running workshops online to be able to still share some of those skills with folks uh, and be able to still build spaces where they could connect with others. Wow. That's really cool. Also, like it sounds like such an amazing community to have access to even like just as the group of people, in addition to also helping the community. Um, how have you seen those things impact like these people's lives? Like having not just some kind of way to help the community or get involved, but also having this core community of people that they have access to. And, and have you been able to like see changes in some of their behaviors or their attitudes? I know that, you know, it's leading towards empowerment and leadership. Like how do you see that manifesting? Yeah, I, I think it's really powerful. I think I I run into situations uh, and it, it has been my job, but then often I'm running into situations where we're just supporting each other as a community. And so, or folks are just calling me up and they're like, hey, like I'm getting married in you know, two months. Do you want to come through? Like things like that. <laughs> um, and so sometimes at work, it's like, well, these are CJ's friends and they're also people CJ works with. So like they see, they see that kind of connection. Um, and between the, a lot of the leaders in the community, it, it, it still ends up working the same way. We make like an initial investment and commitment to like for support and like, financial resources for a year. 
but that mm-hmm. those relationships last long beyond that. I participated myself in 20, like five, six years ago, but I'm still friends and connecting and partners. Uh, like I partner in, in, in collaboration with a lot of the folks who I've participated in, uh, I'm in the network with. And you find that there are those collaborations that exist all over the place. So one person knows that they're working on a project and through the network, they've heard of someone else who does something similar. And so they bring them in as like a, as a guest educator, or I know that I'm doing research on this topic so I can reach out to this person who's done evaluation in this area and we can collaborate on a project. And this exists outside of the work that we as an organization or me, myself, am doing and encouraging. So um, I'm just thinking about the outdoor space and how it's, the assumption is that the outdoors and public parks are for everyone. But then when you observe the people that actually are there, it doesn't actually feel like it's for everyone uh, if that makes sense um Mm -hmm. and so with your mission on making these having youth and people go out there and connect with nature and empower themselves you know how do you address challenges like for people with disabilities um who have trouble accessing outdoors or for uh fat folks right who have trouble accessing outdoors or maybe even for families of color who are like, why would I go outside when we literally have a house <laughs> that we can sleep mm-hmm. in? Why would I ever go camping? Um, and so there's, you know, I'm talking about a lot of just like cultural things, also like physical abilities, all these different, um, and I don't want to call them barriers, but I guess, yeah, how do you just work around that and reach these people who, for whatever reason, haven't really had um, a connection to outdoor spaces? Yeah. So I think there are, that's been a part of my development and some of the work that I've been doing, how I've approached it a little differently. I think when I first started, it was about quote unquote barriers and it was about introducing people to the outdoors. And as I've gone on, and I think some of it still, there's a small percentage that still fits in that way. There's the message and encouraging folks that yes, you can be outdoors. Like outdoors is a space for you. And I think as we've, as I've gone on, there's been, uh, the direction, some of the direction of my messaging has turned, or the direction of my work has, has shifted to some of the organizations and systems that hold, hold those ideas and constructs in place. So you talk about access to, you know, for fat folks and, and differently abled folks who, who, who might need to out- access the outdoors a little bit differently. It's about talking to brands and companies about the products that they're developing and how what the diversity is and what they what they're offering uh, to folks. Um, it's about uh, working with parks and rec departments and working with you know folks from public lands about how accessible the trails are, so that it's not the burden, the responsibility isn't on the person who wants to access the outdoors to figure out how to do it and to have the solution. It's on the organizations that keep that structure and that system in place. Um, it's on them to be able to make it more equitable, more accessible, and then for people to be able to enjoy them. Um, so yeah, I, 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 I'm always encouraging folks to access and touch base with the outdoors as much as possible. Uh, but I understand that it really should be on the folks with power to shift the systems that we live in. So when you approach these systems, what's the response like? I don't know if it varies or if it's um, similar across different spaces or if there are any that surprised you in a really good way. Um, people are very accustomed to doing things the ways that they have always been done. 
And even if they don't know the roots of it, unfortunately, uh, so when we when you talk about these spaces being for everyone, initially there was someone who created those spaces. And when they thought about everyone, their version of everyone didn't look like everyone today, like similar to what's written in the Constitution, what's, you know, what was at the, the, the premises that were at the foundation of our national parks. Their idea of everyone did not include people of color, immigrants, things of that nature. Even when we think about the ways that city parks are designed right now, they're, the, the way that they're designed is not for everyone who lives in the city, but it's for the communities that they are most uh, adjacent to. And oftentimes the property value determines how much green space uh, is in a particular neighborhood or, or is it within walking distance. And so when I talk to folks who work in these organizations who have an impact on some of these systems, there's some hesitance and some struggle with, well, like this is the longstanding system of how things have been done and we can't change this, we can't change that, we can't change that. Um, there's an acknowledgement of the awareness of, of like increasing awareness of access to these parks and access to these resources, access to those green spaces. Um, and even in some cases, the amplification of uh, representatives from these communities or people of color or, you know, disabled folks or whatnot, who, who to, in order to get more people connected to these spaces. But I think part of my challenge, part of my excitement is to help see people, help people see how their actions have a ripple effect on the system and how when they act within what's in arm reach, when they act on what they have control over, there's a ripple effect that helps to change all of these things. And not to think about it like, oh, I'm not going to cure racism if I you know, fix this program that helps more people get into parks. But thinking about it like if you do this and put pressure on this part of the system, other people will help change that too so that your actions affect things down the line. Yeah. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. That's the structures of like everything, but getting more people involved is great. And also why, like if people can't access something, it should not be on them to figure out their workaround of getting to it. Like that's not, they did not create it so that no. they could not access it. <laughs> so it's free space. Um, yeah. This also makes me think of just how Central Park in New York is designed, like as you're talking about the green space in neighborhoods, like Central Park is essentially designed for the upper class so that they have an escape from all the sounds and was built directly on top of originally the like lower class housing and they got rid of all the houses there so they could build this space that like funnels out the sound outside, like the trees are built in a way that like the taller trees are outside and the smaller trees are inside. So you hear nothing and you can pretend that you're not in the city <laughs> surrounded by diversity and you can continue being in your like bubble. Not, you know, Central Park's a great park. Like I'm glad it's open for everyone now, but that was not its original purpose, right? So yeah. Um, speaking of outdoor spaces and how they like were built or meant to make people feel, how is it that you can use those spaces or community spaces to promote leadership or to teach these skills to all of these like you know people that are involved i do think the outdoors does have intrinsic yeah. benefits so it has benefits in and of itself uh i mean there are studies that show that you know there are doctors who are not prescribing walks outdoors for mm -hmm. helping with folks physically uh mentally emotionally like it supports all of those uh, different aspects. That is a proven benefit. The There are benefits of the outdoors in the sense of um, 
just being able to feed imagination and curiosity and, and all of those things. That's the reason why kids play in the dirt and aren't just like, mm. you know, they're not playing with hardwood floors. They're not playing inside structures. They're playing with things that help build that imagination and curiosity. Um, that's the reason why I called it a frame earlier is because in reality, the frame could almost be anything. Um, I've seen instances where that same type of camaraderie, community, leadership development, that same sense of purpose comes from a, a youth soccer team as, mm-hmm. a, or as it does from a camping trip. But I think the, what the outdoors does is it takes us out of our routines as well and puts us in a space where while we're learning the unfamiliar, we're, we're able to make more connections. And so that's one of the reasons why I feel like it's such a great tool. It's something that it's something new that you can experience folks to. It's a different, it's a change of pace that allows people to set new mental patterns. And when they set those new mental patterns in connection with the outdoors, then they're able, they build those things with that positive connection in mind. So it's because of its intrinsic benefits to physical, mental, emotional health, I think. But then also anytime you take folks out of their patterns into something new, you give them the ability to to create these new mindsets and, and senses of community. I love that. It's very, mm-hmm. um, it's funny because you're like, I don't know the connection to global health or, you know, health in general. <laughs> and I'm like, it's, it's so intertwined, even just the way that you've described putting people in situations that are new or unknown in that learning process and you start creating those connections. I'm just thinking about the brain and how we create um, new connections and the way that our brains process and and I'm like, it's the same thing, right? Like, <laughs> um, and yeah. when, when people learn and when people are put into different contexts, it's so true. And I think also it's so empowering to have that confidence built, especially for the youth, because it's not a confidence that remains in that one time or space. It carries over into school. It carries over into family. So I think it's wonderful what you're doing. Um, and I guess in the grand scheme of things, what's your vision for future generations as they get out more and connect with the outdoors more? I hope that our, our idea of normal for um, what it means to connect outdoors shifts and that we there isn't a fight for like folks to be represented in I, not a, even just in accessing the outdoors, but then in leadership of, and controlling um, what happens in the outdoors. I think it's my hope that People in the outdoor industry and conservation and environmental industries uh, feel specifically the outdoors get centered as what is most important as what as what we're trying to save. But I hope that people get centered in a way where the outdoors is a tool that we use to accomplish things for communities um, and that it can uh, in that way, the outdoors is a tool that's in the toolbox of, you know, public health. It's in the toolbox of schools. So it's incorporated into schools. It's incorporated into, like I said before, the way we build cities. It's incorporated to into our how we think about you know representation and and our our political world as well, and all of those kind of kind of uh, things. So I hope that the outdoors becomes a tool in how these young people are able to impact their world. Um, and what is something that people could do right now to help make that future? a little bit sooner or a lot of bit sooner just happened sooner like yesterday like yeah <laughs> <laughs> um i think learning about the outdoors or learning about 
the way that people connect to the outdoors and nature from folks who are different than you um, brings a different perspective to how you how you see it and how you approach it. Uh, learning about the history of environmental justice, learning about folks like Dolores Huerta, and learning about folks who are facing environmental justice issues in Chicago helps put a different spin on just the easy, I can go outside and access the outdoors. And I think when folks learn reading uh, different books and perspectives on access to the outdoors and connection to the outdoors will help all of us be able to advocate for those connections and access to be more ubiquitous, to be readily accessible to people outside of what I normally experience. Uh, so then you mentioned uh, that folks and folks who are differently abled earlier. And for me, I don't hold those identities. And so I don't know that perspective. But when I'm able to learn about their perspective about accessing the outdoors, then I'm more willing and able to be an accomplice in making sure that they have access, which benefits me in the end as well. And so I think the better and more intentional we are about learning from perspectives that are different from ours, the more we're able to advocate um, and create systems and processes that benefit everyone. Those are all really great things. And, you know, it makes me think a lot about how these things are in more than just, you know, the individual space, but as like how this works at a collective space or in organizational spaces. And you do a lot of work um, in consulting and stuff. So what do you think about those things in that kind of space? So one of the things that I, uh, I am also uh, a consultant for diversity, equity, and inclusion with uh, outdoor and environmental organizations. Uh, and I think in that work, folks often come up against the same challenges that, that we've discussed previously and, or even are hesitant because they're like, why do we need to do this? Why do we need to do this diversity work? What is this? This is all trendy. This is all, you know, made up, whatever. But I think that tapping back into what I said about learning from someone different than you or shifting systems and, and procedures, policies, all that. Uh, when we shift those things and when we're able to, and this even ties in with the uh, some of the attacks against the Asian community that's spotted up recently and some of the backlash that pops up in Black communities when you try and bring it up. I, for me, I truly believe that when we're all able to be uh, accomplices with each other, when we're all able to advocate for each other and stand with each other, we're able to set communities and systems uh, where we're, we all benefit and we all live better and more and fuller lives um, on the positive, like feel good level. I benefit from being in community with, with like Asian, my Asian brothers and sisters. I benefit from being in community and from learning from people who are different than me and incorporating their experiences into how I live life. And so I just, I'm a firm believer that the more that we're able to build coalitions um, and build uh, accomplices in those type of relationships, the better life is for all of us. So, yeah. And CJ, thanks for saying that. You know, as obviously as an Asian woman, it's been, I don't know how long since we, I've been, I'm just in a like vortex of just like news on anti Asian hate crime. So, (laughs) Um, so I appreciate you saying that. And I totally agree with you. I think, um, I think as people of color, it's very easy to get sucked into talking about your own pain and having your own pain highlighted. And then, um, and that very real desire to have that be validated 
And so when there's another community that's also hurting, I understand why it feels like it can be, it can feel like it's being taken away from you, right? And so, but I think, I think it's within the, those moments of where we recognize each other's um, pains and we say, hey, like, you know what, the only way through this is to really come together and work together. I think that applies in, I, I would say, in all spaces, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and especially in your, con- in this context, the outdoors as well. Um, I totally agree. I, I don't know. I, some of my most memorable outdoor moments were with people that weren't from my own community. And it was fun. It was exciting. And I learned a lot. And I think those are the moments that stick with me. So yeah, I just want to say I appreciate you mentioning that as well. Yeah, first of all, CJ, thank you so much for saying all those things. I, I agree with Susanna. It's, it's great to hear. And, um, you know, Susanna, the point that you just made, made me think of, you know, how how do we begin to address or, you know, what, what should we tell kids or folks or really anyone who might be nervous or anxious about the outdoors on, you know, how to go outdoors and get outdoors? Being nervous is good and fine. I, I think I would encourage them to try something that was within their comfort zone and then to branch out and try things that were a step outside of their comfort zone. Find people to that you feel safe with, that you can do things that make you feel slightly nervous about or, or nervous about and, and step into that nervousness a bit. Uh, on the other side of that door are experiences that you may never have had and, and paths in life that you may never take if you if you leave it unopened. Um, and that nervousness can easily shift into a sense of wonder and excitement and thrill and a whole new career in my case um, if you if you walk through that door. And so I would encourage them. Uh, I think nervousness is your body's way of telling you that something new is coming, but it shouldn't always mean that that something new is dangerous. And so find ways to, to touch that nervousness and step into it in, in, a, in a safe or supported way. Uh, because there's so many things out there that you can explore, see, participate in, uh, and get connected to. Um, and that fullness is, is like, it's out there. So step into it. Love it. Love it. I, I feel like both of your tips are so great for, you know, contextually for the outdoors, but also just for life. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a fortune cookie. Yeah. <laughs> I am a horoscope. <laughs> How can you paste this into, into yeah. someone's business school? Yeah. Learn about other perspectives, be better about being an accomplice for others, and step into your nerves. Like, few things that make you nervous. Yeah. I love that. Awesome. <laughs> and that's basically the best ending we could have ever asked for. Thank you so much, CJ. So that's how we're going to end the episode. So thank you so much, CJ. And thank you all for listening. You can reach CJ on Instagram or by email if you have any questions or want to hire him for your consulting. His Instagram is at holding underscore junior and his email is co.holding.junior. And if you have any questions for us, you can always reach us at our Instagram, Gmail, Twitter, etc. at Global Caveat. And, you know, thank you all so much for helping us make this podcast run as you always do. Please, please, please think about joining our Patreon so we can keep working on things and getting more transcripts up and running. And also thank you so much to Hot Cocoa for producing our music.